Broadcasting from the unknown regions in a galaxy far, far away, MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Episode 14, everyone, and welcome to the last podcast. I am your host, Sean, and we are happy to have you aboard this ship as we travel through the unknown regions. If you're new to the podcast or you need a reminder, you can support the podcast through donations using PayPal. Donate a dollar and get an exclusive last podcast sticker. Support the show so we can give the hyperdrive an update. Head on over to mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan for more information we do have two fans we have lee and gary who have contributed to the show or the game stream thank you lee and gary for all of your support if you like game streams come on out and join me as i play through a series of games on twitch youtube facebook and mixer join the chat and follow the channels and currently we're playing jedi fallen order and more to come on that but come on out tuesday 11.26 and Wednesday, 11.27 for some awesome, awesome content action. As we flip into the podcast agenda, here is what's coming up. In our hyperspace spot, we're going to take a look at a Rise of Skywalker preview brought to you by EW. We are only 26 days away from the movie, and I couldn't be more excited. In our Holonet highlights, we're going to talk about uh, a little Mandalorian spoiler, so I'll let you know when that comes on up, but stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about J.J. Abrams and his uh, reaction to Ryan Johnson's film. We'll wrap it up with Disney testing some SUV size uh, machines above Galaxy's Edge. Hmm, stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll do... A scene-by-scene breakdown of Rogue One in That's No Moon. We're going to give it that little score. Hopefully it scores well. Maybe it won't. I guess we'll find out in a little bit. And in our final approach, we're going to do a comprehensive uh, in-progress review of Jedi Fallen Order. I've got about seven hours into the game. And uh, might I say, it's a beautiful-looking game. Finally, with our ship's log, we're going to take a look At the Yoda species, where does Yoda play in to our galaxy? Does anybody know who Yoda is, or do we only know him from the movies? And we'll wrap up episode 14 with a bang. Little advertisement on Sunday, November 24th, I dropped Into the Galaxy episode 2, which covers Resistance Episodes 5 and 6, Jedi Fallen Order, Issues 1 through 4, Star Wars Allegiance, Issues 3 and 4, and Star Wars Spark of the Resistance, a young adult novel. So if you want to get a little bit deep into the uh, novels and comics and TV shows, head on over and listen to Into the Galaxy number 2. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our most popular episode yet, it's a new series called We Have Spoken. 
myself, Damien, and my good friend Mike sat down and dissected it, asked good questions, and just had a good conversation about Mandalorian Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. So there will be very little spoilers in this show and little breakdown in this show. We're going to save it all for We Have Spoken on Monday, November 25th, Chapter 3 of The Mandalorian. We Have Spoken, Episode 2 will have dropped, so make sure you look back in the feed and give that a listen. Myself, Damien, and Mike sit down, chat about it, and give you our thoughts with a full breakdown of The Mandalorian Chapter 3. But sit tight, strap in, the Navic computer has made its calculations, and let's get ready to hit our hyperspace spot. Ready? Punch it! In our hyperspace spot, we're going to take a look at Inside Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. The stakes are all or nothing. Written by James Hibbard, November 19th, 2019, at 8.25 in the morning. This podcast is being recorded on 11-24-2019 with 26 days left to The Rise of Skywalker. Let's take a look at what we do know and what we may not want to know about the new movie. J.J. Abrams is racing. The director has been tasked with bringing four decades of the most popular and longest-running sci-fi franchise of all time to an epic conclusion, and nowadays he's feeling a bit like Luke Skywalker flying his X-Wing down the Death Star trench run in A New Hope as TIE Fighters closed in. Under a bit of pressure, in other words, with the fate of the entire Star Wars universe, depending on him. Quote, we've always knew we were going to have three fewer months to post-production this film, says Abrams, who took over co-writing and directing duties on the movie two years ago after successfully rebooting the franchise with 2015's blockbuster The Force Awakens. Quote, so much is still being worked on. It's literally a practical race to get it finished. If that admission sounds worrisome, hold your fire on those tweets. Despite a deadline crunch to make the film's December 20th worldwide launch, Abrams says he's feeling infinitely better at this very late stage about the rise of Skywalker than he was about The Force Awakens. We had more reshoots on Episode 7 than this one, Abrams said. We had more story adjustments on 7 than this one. We didn't know if the characters would work, if the actors would be able to carry a Star Wars movie. There were a lot of things we didn't know. On this, we knew who and what worked, and everyone is doing the best work I've ever seen anyone do. But the ambition of this movie is far greater than Force Awakens. What we set out to do was far more challenging. Everything is exponentially larger on this. For example, Disney has released three trailers for The Rise of Skywalker. Some of the shots are stunning and seemingly revealed. Desert Scavenger turned Jedi Apprentice Rey and First Order leader Kylo Ren clashing with lightsabers on the half-submerged wreckage of the second Death Star, which was blown up in Return of the Jedi. Rey facing off against a somehow resurrected Emperor Palpatine. The Millennium Falcon flying into a massive armada of Star Destroyers, plus those bewildering teases of Rey turning to the dark side and teaming up with Kylo. Yet Abrams says fans still don't really know anything. The trailers that have come out are scratching the surface of what what the movie is. The famously spoiler-averse director says, Asked if there are major action sequences we've yet to see any footage from, Abrams replies with a firm, Yes, and then naturally goes silent. John Boyega, who plays Stormtrooper turned Resistance fighter Finn, 
says his first reaction to the script penned by Abrams and Chris Terrario was he had to read the script six more times because there was so much information in there. Here's what we know about how Episode 9 begins. It's been more than a year since the events of 2017's The Last Jedi. The First Order has decimated the Resistance. Rey has been training to use the Force. Finn and Hotshot pilot Poe Dameron have been sent by Leia Organa to find allies throughout the galaxy, as we have seen in Spark of the Resistance, but so far haven't had any luck. They're trying to put Band-Aids on this leaking ship of a Resistance, Isaac says. Their mission leads Finn, Poe, and Rey to work together, which has oddly never happened before in the trilogy. And since there's a time jump, the characters have all grown and changed since we last saw them. We're not just a ragtag group of people who have been thrown together, Isaac says. We've actually had time to train. There are, re there are some really great sequences with the three of us in infiltrating spaces. Both Isaac and Boyega say that they had their character wishes granted for the final film. Isaac wanted Poe to get out of the cockpit and into the group while Boyega wanted Finn to become a more capable soldier and not, as the actor candidly puts it, just a comedic, goofy dude who never gets stuff done. I definitely wanted more after Episode 8, Boyega says. Rise of Skywalker makes Finn's Episode 8 arc make more sense. We got to bring out a side of Finn we haven't seen. To help spark the trio's on-screen chemistry, Abrams told his cast to feel free to improvise dialogue, and many scenes were shot using long, continuous takes to keep their flow going. J.J. came back with a new energy and a new vibe, Boyega says. He wanted dialogue to be messy and natural, and that got all of us really excited. I think it really captures the spirit of the original trilogy, Isaac says. On top of that, there's the fact that Ray has... The actor stops catching himself before revealing too much. Ray has what? Ray is driving her own thing, Ridley says. She's not doing what other people are telling her to do. We last saw Ray mourning the death of her mentor, Luke Skywalker, who returns in the film, presumably in Force Ghost form, played once again by Mark Hamill, and shutting the door to Kylo's power-mad seduction attempt. The heroine has since then made progress in her Jedi training. I have skills that I've developed, but confident isn't a word I'd use to describe it. She's definitely more in control of everything and can do new fun stuff, but she's vulnerable and a little insecure about it all. Yet Rey will use more than her Force powers in a new film, as Abram hints. The scavenger who is desperate and haggling for portions and trying to survive in Force Awakens, those special skills and that special experience ends up being something that is essential to saving the galaxy. Ridley trained in kickboxing for the final chapter as well, but says the emotional toll of Rey's journey was more difficult than any combat scenes. It's a heavy story for Ray, Ridley says. There were days where I was literally like, I can't do this. I'm so tired. I don't know if I can, like, reach that emotion again. Part of Ray's journey involves solving the mystery of her identity. Well, again, Kylo revealed in The Last Jedi that Ray's parents are deceased nobodies, filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. The line embraced the idea that a hero doesn't need to come from somebody special in order to be somebody special, yet many fans called foul as the trilogy has teased Ray's identity as being crucial information from the start. Classified? Question mark. Ray echoed back to BB-8 during her big debut sequence. Me too. Big secret. The parents thing is not satisfied for her and for her audience, Ridley says. That's something she's still trying to figure out. Where does she come from? It's unclear if Abrams has made a course correction to Last Jedi writer-director Ryan Johnson's plan, or there was always more to say about Rey's parentage. Either way, wasn't the Episode 8 scene supposed to be sincere? 
It's not that she doesn't believe it, Ridley says carefully, but she feels there's more to the story, and she needs to figure out what's come before so she can figure out what to do next. An even bigger cliffhanger is the resolution of Ray's complex relationship with the First Order's ruthless leader, who, okay, sure, also looks shirtless and high-waisted pants, but what if he didn't? Kylo has grown beyond being a petulant teenager, and Driver says Kylo's killing of Supreme Leader Snoke was kind of a birth moment for him. He had all these pseudo-father figures that he had to either live up to or literally kill to become his own person for the first time. Naturally, Kylo's destiny will lead to at least one lightsaber clash with Rey. Abrams sees the duo as two sides of the same coin, noting even when they're not together, they still haunt each other in a way. They know they are each other's unresolved business. For his part, Driver rejects any labels for the Rey-Kylo relationship. I don't think it's all one thing. Part of the fun of playing it is the boundaries of, ke of it keep changing. At times, it's more intimate, sometimes less intimate, sometimes it's codependent, and then it's obviously adversarial. That Rey and Kylo end up battling on the wreckage of the second Death Star continues Abrams' penchant for showcasing ruined relics of the original trilogy, like Rey spelunking in a wrecked Star Destroyer and living in an AT-AT walker or at-at walker and Jakku in Force Awakens. It felt like going into the haunted house, the place you have to go to, Abrams says of bringing back the iconic space station. This is a story of people having to grapple with the burden the prior generation dumps on those that follow. So literally returning to this wreck of the past and having to fight it out felt like an obvious metaphor, but also felt incredibly cinematic. Of course, there's another original trilogy fallen icon in the film too. Fisher died after filming The Last Jedi. Figuring out how to utilize Fisher's previously deleted scenes in the new movie was one of Abrams' biggest challenges. Saying Leia had passed away or that she was off somewhere else felt like a cheat, Abrams says. Then I remembered we had these scenes that we hadn't used from Episode 7. It was like finding this impossible answer to this impossible situation. Suddenly, we had we had classic Carrie in these amazing moments. So when you see it in the movie, it's her. She's there. It's not like there's some crazy digital trickery. She's just in the movie. A couple of other original trilogy characters are likewise integral. Billy D. Williams is back as the old pirate Lando Calrissian for the first time in live action since Return of the Jedi. Williams says he's excited to return to the character despite enduring fans coming up to him for decades accusing him of betraying Han Solo. The whole Star Wars experience feels like it never goes away. It's always there, Williams says. There are all of these things that have happened in Lando's life that he's got to resolve. There's also paranoid android C-3PO, who in the latest Skywalker trailer ominously says he's taking a last look at his friends. 3PO is essential to a movie's plot for the first time since A New Hope. Ridley points out Rey might spend more time with 3PO than any character in the film. In previous recent movies, 3PO has just been kind of a window dressing, something on the mantelpiece. You polish it and dust it off when guests are coming, says Anthony Daniels, who had played the golden droid's body and voice in every Skywalker saga movie. J.J. and Chris came up with the aspect of 3PO we had not seen before that's remarkably clever. They go down deep into ancient Star Wars and came up with something refreshingly new. Joining 3PO in the Metal Headgear Club is newcomer to the saga, Kerry Russell. Despite having worked with Abrams for years on Felicity, the actress found herself escorted to a small room where she could only read the Skywalker script under watchful guard. Her character is Zori Bliss, who's involved in some intimate, sketchy stuff and wears a large brass and crimson daft punk-like helmet. For a shy person, this is my ultimate dream job. 
I get to be in Star Wars and my face is covered, Russell marvels. I can see everyone and no one can see me, though I now have giant throbbing neck muscles like Mr. T. There's also newcomer Naomi Aki portraying Janna, a bow and arrow wielding warrior who rides a horse-like creature called an Orbach. Real animals were used on set, and until you've ridden a horse dressed up like an exotic alien across to the surface of the Death Star, you haven't really lived. I was just gobsmacked, Aki says of the experience. Every day you're grappling with the fact that every choice you make in a small moment is going to be broadcast to the entire world. While the film is introducing new characters, Abram insists Rise of Skywalker won't set up a future story. He's not leaving loose threads for Disney to hang another trilogy directly onto the back of this one. Lucas's original dream of an intergalactic tale about a farm boy from Tatooine is at, is at last about to set, just like those dreamy twin suns collapsing into the desert. It's a very good ending, and a good ending feels right, Daniel says simply. And yet, in another way, the final Skywalker saga film is very much about the future of the franchise. Star Wars will continue to exist in an omniscient force-like fashion, in everything from toys to TV shows to video games to theme parks, but new movies have always been the brand's creative core. Since buying Lucasfilm in 2012, Disney movies in a galaxy far, far away peaked early at the box office with Force Awakens and sunk to their lowest level with the most recent entry, Solo. At one point during our interview, Abrams declares the stakes are all or nothing with this film. He was referring to its high-stakes storyline, but the same could also be said about the franchise. Even if we never see Ray, Finn, and Poe on screen again, Rise of Skywalker's popularity will likely make an impact on Disney's next studio moves, guiding like a fallen Jedi or Sith's unseen hand. Speaking of, there's at least one key player we haven't discussed. Palpatine's return may be the most closely guarded storyline in the film. How is the Emperor, who Vader tossed into the Death Star's reactor core, back in a seemingly corporal form? This has been a very long chess match that's been played between the Jedi and the Sith, all the way back to the very beginning, Isaac teases. It's an amazing thing to see that really come to the forefront. The Rise of Skywalker might very well turn out to be a full-fledged reunion special of Force Ghosts, and what are the rules that govern the Jedi and Sith spirit realm anyway? Obi-Wan Kenobi said in Empire Strikes Back that he cannot interfere with Luke's fight with Vader. But in The Last Jedi, Yoda suddenly called down a lightning strike. What can Force Ghosts do and not do in our world? Abrams' reply to that key question is pretty much what you'd expect. That's probably best answered, the director says, by not answering it. The Rise of Skywalker opens December 20th in a theater near you. Now, I loved reading this lengthy article just because it sort of gives us a little perspective from the actors, the excitement from the director, and it doesn't spoil a damn thing. We have all of the information laid out in front of us, what's at stake, what's going down, and I can't, you know, explain the excitement that I have. Once again, I sort of reminisce back to The Force Awakens of how exciting that time was, and I guess my feelings on it right now is that I just really hope that this delivers. And not just for me, but for Star Wars. The Last Jedi just did a number on the fan base. And again, we're, we're a very much a connected world now, so we hear all of this. Um, if you dig down deep into the Twitter area, you can find the venom there if you want to. But guess what? I bet you some people don't like the Mandalorian. Uh, 
you know, you get people that are going to be critiquing every little thing. And guess what? It's Star Wars. It's entertainment. It's sci-fi. It's a show. It's for kids. Maybe not The Mandalorian. That show is for us. Uh, But mostly, just enjoy it. Uh, Allow it to come. Let it wash over you. And then we can kind of critically break it down at another time. But uh, there's something to be said about the rise of Skywalker. And you know what? I am looking forward to it. And as it gets a little closer and we start watching the movies again from Episode 1 all the way up to Episode 8, it's only going to get more exciting. So stay tuned for that. And that has been your Hyperspace Spot. As always, the last podcast is brought to you by the We Podcast and We Know Things Network, the We Pod Squad. Greg and Sam of We Podcast and We Know Things do a great job at summarizing all the pop culture things that happen throughout your terrible work week. They bring sunshine where there are clouds. They bring flowers where there is dirt. I was very excited to hear Greg's impressions of Pokemon Sword and Shield to get an idea of whether or not I want to buy that game. And I'm still on the fence. I need a little bit more information before I make that purchase. So thanks to Greg and Sam for doing a great job every week. And thanks to Ryan of the Iron Ryan Show for splitting Tuesdays with me and for uh, really bringing in some nice insight into his brain and into his headspace and bringing up topics that we normally just don't talk about. So thanks to Ion Ryan for taking care of that. Make sure you follow us all on Instagram uh, at We Podcast and We Know Things, at Ion Ryan, and at The MRC Tech. The Net Highlights is a collection of a few stories found throughout the galaxy. And we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the Star Wars universe in a very, very quick fashion, starting with a Mandalorian-type spoiler. So if you haven't watched anything in The Mandalorian, you're definitely going to want to skip ahead. Starting off in our Holonet highlights, Star Wars Baby Yoda toys are coming to a store near you, according to CNN Business. Fans of Star Wars and the Disney Plus series The Mandalorian have another reason to celebrate this holiday season, thanks to toy maker Hasbro and its much-anticipated line of Baby Yoda merchandise. The toy company, which has an exclusive license from Disney to make Star Wars, Marvel, Frozen, and Disney princesses-related toys and apparel, announced it will be releasing a line of Baby Yoda toys and products in an exclusive CNBC a report. Fans of the Disney Plus series have been gushing about the adorable alien on social media since laying eyes on his little green face with his enormous eyes, butt nose, and a baby fuzz atop his head. The launch comes at a crucial time for Hasbro and the toy industry as a whole. Earlier today, CNN Business reported sluggish early sales figures for toy makers, which would be the second straight underwhelming holiday season for the segment. Last year, toy makers also struggled in the absence of a Star Wars movie in theaters and the first. U.S. holiday season without Toys R Us, which closed more than 700 stores last year. Additional Baby Yoda products will be available at the Disney Store, Shop Disney, and at Disney Parks sometime before the holidays, the network reported. Pre-sale purchase of Baby Yoda plushies and other toys will also be available in the next few weeks, though it remains unclear when the products will 
be shipped. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, when I'm in Anaheim next Tuesday, I am going to be searching high and low for Baby Yoda toys. And when I head over to Disneyland on Sunday, I'm 100% going to be scaling the walls to figure out how I can get a Baby Yoda anything. So stay tuned for that Baby Yoda is the best, even though it coos like a regular baby, and that is strange. Next up, J.J. Abrams reacts to Ryan Johnson's most unexpected change in The Last Jedi. J.J. Abrams is offering his thoughts on fellow director Ryan Johnson's heavily debated work on Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Abrams recently sat down for an interview where he discussed Johnson's creative decisions on the franchise's most recent installment, including Johnson's willingness to break the film's long-established mold. When I read his first draft, it made me laugh because I saw that was his take and his voice, Abrams tells Rolling Stone. I got to watch cuts of the movie as he was working on it as an audience member, and I appreciated the choices he made as a filmmaker that would probably be very different from the choices that I would have made. That's safe just as he would have made different choices if he had made Episode 7. When Abrams was asked what was the largest change in Johnson's addition to the franchise, the 53-year-old filmmaker states, I felt the biggest surprise was how dark Luke was. That was the last thing that I thought. Oh, that was expected. Oh, that was unexpected. And that's the thing The Last Jedi undeniably succeeds at, which is constant subversion of expectation. The number of things that happened in that movie that aren't the thing you think is going to happen is pretty fun. Although Johnson was criticized by some fans for his more adventurous choices on The Last Jedi, Abrams shared his full-throated admiration for the film. I had a real sense with Force Awakens co-screenwriter Larry Kasson about where things would go potentially, he tells the magazine. And I think that when I read Ryan's script and I felt was that with everything that happens in the movie and quite a lot does, nothing sort of obviated a sense of an, an inevitability where I thought the story could go. Abrams also discussed his own creative decisions on Star Wars uh, say Star Wars episode this is, says 6 The Force Awakens, that's a typo including having to cut several scenes involving Princess Leia played by late Cara Fisher. Uh, we, uh, we originally had a character we got to know who was on the Republic planet when it was destroyed, he says, when discussing a scene in which an entire solar system is obliterated. But it felt a bit beside the point, and in the re-editing, we ended up losing this whole chunk of Leia scenes that we had prior. However, those cuts turned out to be a blessing because when Abrams signed on to create The Rise of Skywalker, he had the raw footage of Fisher to repurpose. In August, E.T. spoke with Abrams at Disney's D23 Expo where he shared that Leia will play an integral role in the upcoming film. We couldn't figure out how to tell the end of the Skywalker saga without Leia. And, you know, saying that she had passed away, saying that she was somewhere else, there was no way. And we realized we could never recast it, and we didn't want to do a CG character, so we actually realized there was footage we could use that we could literally write scenes around and suddenly have as an active part of this movie, and she's great in the film. And still, maybe now more than ever, it's impossible to me that she's gone because she's so alive in the film. Abrams added, we don't know how to do it without her, and so having her be part of the movie in a way that I think she'd be proud of is very meaningful. I included this article only because J.J. Abrams has a reputation to, you know, write wacky stories. I mean, just look at Lost. Uh, look at all the things he's done. He, he has this innate ability to create awesome products with very little information. So... 
I know he's endorsing Ryan Johnson because they literally work across from each other in a so-and-so cubicle. But I do believe that he thinks that Ryan Johnson did a good job. And when push comes to shove, I, I fall on the side of the fence that we need, although we may not have liked The, the Last Jedi, we needed The Last Jedi in order to move the story forward. So it doesn't matter if you hated it, and it doesn't matter if you really love it. For me, you know my thoughts on it. I think we needed that movie to break the 42-year-old boundary lines that were created by George Lucas and, you know, and, and the trilogy that we have and then the, the prequel trilogy, and now we have room to breathe. And I thank Ryan Johnson for that, and that's all I'm going to say on that. And our final, final article of the Hyperspace Spot, like I said, this is going to be real quick, episode 14. It's an interesting report. Uh, according to ClickOrlando.com and according to Fulcrum Intelligence on Instagram, I've seen a few of these reports and I couldn't believe it myself. Sources say that Disney is testing SUV-sized drones over Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in anticipation of the December 5th ride opening. With less than two weeks until the opening of the highly anticipated ride, Ride Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. New photos posted on blogmickey.com showed Disney could be testing two X-Wing fighter-style drones over Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Be- before the average Star Wars fans gets excited, the report said that the new SUV-sized drones will likely be used exclusively for the media opening night event. Records from 2016 show Disney was granted a waiver by the FAA to fly drones on their property, but the blog site reports it's unclear if the FAA have authorized drones of this size to fly on a daily basis. Blog Mickey reports Disney is housing the X-Wing drones in large plastic tents located in the temporary area off-limits to the public. Photos show parts of the parking lot have been modified to test the drones late at night. The website also reports the X-Wing fighter drones appear to have a translucent material with a wire frame. Photos show the drones up in the air sporting an incredible glow in the sky. This is not the first time Disney has experimented with drones. In 2016, Disney teamed up with tech group Intel to present Starbright Holidays, a Christmas-style show at Disney Springs. Star Wars Rise of the Resistance debuts December 5th. That is awesome are you kidding me they're going to be flying uh suv sized drones that look like x-wings for the media event it doesn't even matter if it's only one night i want to see that and i want to see the tech and i want to see it now this is incredible i love that disney just goes above and beyond the call of duty when they need to well my friends that ends our holonet highlights for episode 14 Look at him, he's heading for that small moon. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. As promised, we have our final part of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and here's how this is going to work. I have my flashcards, listen to them. I have about 15. 
50, about 60 scenes that I've broken down. This was a tough one to break down, mainly because there's so many little scenes interspersed, so I sort of have thoughts and ideas, and then I wrote things down before they actually happen, and then they happen, and it's whatever, and we're going to make it happen. But here's what I can tell you right off the bat, out of 60 scenes, I've got a lot of good and not so much bad. So just a quick, quick uh, review of the whole movie. We have the opener with Galen captured, uh, Lyra dead, and Jin hiding. Saul saves, and a Rogue One title, and that was a different opener. That is a nice scene, but that's not going to make my top ten. Uh, we meet Cassian. He shoots the informant. A very good scene, but not going to make my top ten. We meet Bodhi, uh, Jeddah, Saul's partisans. That's a nice scene. Jin's breakout. We meet K2SO. Yavin 4, questioning Jin. Uh, we see Bale. That may make my top 10 scenes. Uh, we got loading up. Jin has a blaster. Uh, Ghost is in the scene, the ship, the ghost, which is cool. Uh, that's a nice little scene. We meet Saw. Uh, Bodhi is sent to the Borg Gullet. The Death Star is complete with Tarkin and Krennic. That may make the top 10. Flashback flying into Jeddah on their way. Jeddah, the town environment, rebellions are built on hope. We meet Chirrup, the attack on the transport, Chirrut Bay's captured along with everybody else. The Star Destroyer uh, leaving, it's a kind of a cool scene. We're going to kind of put that maybe in the top ten. Uh, we have Saul's brig and his compound and the coolness of that. Uh, Saul and Jin and their uh, initial meeting before the message. We have Tarkin and Krennic. Preparing to fire on Jeddah. Uh, they meet the pilot in the brig. Uh, the message is then sent and the Death Star fires. That's a pretty good scene. We might put that in the top 10. Escape from Jeddah Saw is dead. Uh, we have the remains of Jeddah flying up. We have Tarkin and Krennic's hostility towards each other. That might make the top 10. Um... Yavin 4 knows to proceed as planned. Uh, they're kind of remorseful and sad while uh, flying away from Jeddah. The, uh, we have our first group interactions, and uh, Jin sort of explains the message, but Cassian is a little doubtful of it because he does, she doesn't have the actual message. Their arrival on Edu with a crash. These are all good scenes. Cassian plan anxious with a sniper. All are good scenes. They go up on the ridge, and Jin follows. Not surprising. They're casing Eidu. Uh, Krennic and Galen have a conversation. Cassian has the shot. Cassian has the shot, but doesn't take the shot. All the scientists are dead. Squadrons are getting ready to load up into battle. Um, they ask them to support them, but it's too late. The X-wings are coming. Chirrut and Bays enter the fray. That's that's a good scene. Uh, Jin and Galen say goodbye and escape from Edu. The Edu aftermath, uh, like the conversation they have with Cassian, just saying, like, I don't have to explain myself to you. I've been doing this for a long time. We have Krennic, Vader, Castle, and Back. That, that might make a top 10. The Council speaks. Jin puts on an impressive, inspirational speech. Uh, Cassian and Volunteers, very heartfelt. Escape from Yavin 4 and the first call sign of Rogue One. Mon Mothma and Bale and the mention of the Jedi and somebody he would trust with his life. That's going to go into the top ten. Arrival on Scarif. Jin's speech to her people and the landing. The inspection team, Krennic, arrives. 
they enter the base. The rebels scatter. They uh, find another K2SO. Well, I guess they find another uh, assassin droid to get the map. Krennic lands. They're walking through the base while the others are setting chargers. They're taking out stormtroopers. They blow up the base. The troopers scatter. Krennic orders people to take care of it. Uh, Tarkin on his way. Uh, they start to enter the data vault. Rebels on Scarif. These are all good scenes. And again, they're kind of quick scenes, so it's it's very hard to kind of label them as one thing or the other. As soon as they get on Scarif, it just starts getting wild. So uh, basically everything on Scarif is awesome. Uh, we have a quick appearance of C-3PO and R2-D2 and the Rebels. So that's pretty awesome. at AT walkers or AT-AT walkers, however you want to say it. X-Wings enter the fray. We have a full-scale battle going on. Uh, Blue Wings enter the gate. Some of them crash. They close the gate. Bodhi is now has a mission to get communications. Jin hands K2 a blaster. A nice moment between them. Enter the ties and Melshi with the master switch. Um, I'm actually going to put that in the bad. Not the TIE fighters, but the whole master switch thing. I just don't really agree with it. Uh, we have transports coming down with Forgetta. Um... We've got X-Wing and Troopers sort of being dropped off. We have a nice beach battle. Back to the space battle. Red 5 gets shot down. Uh, Scarif is now wired into the communications tower. We jump to the data vault, and Jin is, like, perusing File Explorer in Windows 7. The Stardust, Black Saber. I like this scene because of the different callbacks and the different things we've heard before. K2SO, so sad, is down. Uh, in the data vault, Krennic is on his way. Uh, Cassian, uh, they sort of make their way to the middle of the data vault. Uh, Bodhi, uh, Bodhi runs. Now the X-Wings are starting to get overwhelmed. They enter the bank. K2 defends. Uh, Y-Wing attack. Death Troopers cheer it. And Bays are called to action. Bodhi is now out. Bays is now out. Jin gets to the tower. The, the Hammerhead Sharks are called in. She's starting to align the shields. Uh, Jin and Krennic have a conversation. Cassian um, shows up out of nowhere. They start to transmit. Jin and Cassian have a moment. They start their escape. The gate is now down. That's a beautiful scene with the hammerhead. The Death Star arrives and fires on the base. Vader arrives. Jin and Cassian die on the beach. Of course, the Vader scene and then the Leia scene make our top 10 and you know what didn't make the top 10 in fact is the bottom three bottom four we have the scene with the boar gullet hated it i don't like creatures i don't like the idea that this boar gullet just can read your mind and take care of it this is just terrible to me um we have jim climbing a ladder in record speed on edu i just i just really didn't believe in that scene and i thought that was dumb and then, of course, we have Melshi and the Master Switch. I'm not, I'm not interested in those aspects of the story. I think they're stupid. So without further ado, let's do our top scenes of Rogue One. Let's see. Number 10. We're kind of taking a look right now. Let's start off with It's Beautiful, The Apology, and the remains of Jeddah. That's number 10. Let's go with... Hmm. 
I'm gonna go with, uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, we have a lot of good things here. How about the firing of the actual Death Star for the first time we've seen it in single reactor? That's a pretty good one. That's number nine for us. Uh, prior to that, the Star Destroyer leaving, just the scale of that scene, seeing a Star Destroyer not in space but above a town, pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, we first get to see Bail or Government, which is such a great callback to the prequels uh, in our next top scene. I would say um, the Death Star Complete was pretty dynamic. Again, it's sort of about the scale and we don't we've never got to see the death star up close and personal we see tarkin for the first time he is cgi he looks great it's a wonderful wonderful thing uh let's go to mon mothma and bail with the jedi that they would trust with their life let's go with Jin cassian escaping the transport the gate going down the rebels are transmitting they receive the transmission number two Leia and Attentive Escape. Number, I'm sorry, number three, Leia and Attentive Escape. Number two, Krennic and Vader's Castle. And number one, of course, you probably could have guessed it. The Vader scene takes the cake for sure. And that's just how it should be because honestly, that scene rocked like you wouldn't believe. So our total overall, 57 scenes good, 3 scenes bad. Out of a total of 60, we rate Rogue One on our weird and wacky scene-by-scene -scene scale at a 95%. And I gotta say, I will speak the truth about Rogue One like I spoke the truth about The Last Jedi. I think Rogue One was damn good. It's just a good movie. We have new characters. We have connections to old characters. We have connections to old storylines. If, if we're just talking about pace, yes, the beginning is a little slow, but we need that buildup. The Scarif battle, the Vader scene, the ending totally redeems this movie in the end. And I have put it at a 95%. And I hope you enjoyed the final breakdown of Rogue One. <clears throat> Who knows what's next on That's No Moon. It's a breakdown. In a few weeks, we're going to be a couple um, weeks just outside of the Rise of Skywalker. So I'm not going to start a new breakdown. I will uh, I will uh, substitute a segment into That's No Moon. It's a breakdown instead. Maybe we'll do a Mandalorian chapter, a, a uh, elongated version from the We Have Spoken. Who knows? We'll see. Stay tuned. But that was That's No Moon. It's a breakdown. opening of Jedi Fallen Order is a wonder to look at. I've had a chance to play about nine hours of this game, 
And as the opening intro of this game plays in the background, I'm just kind of giving myself a reminder of what I saw. We uh, we got introduced to Cal Kestis. We got introduced to his buddy. And then, you know, we get right into the game, into the controls of it. I decided to play on an Xbox 360 controller. Yes, I said Xbox 360 controller on my Windows 10 PC. I am playing Jedi Fallen Order on my custom-built PC. It's a beautiful, beautiful-looking game. Uh, the controls are nearly damn perfect. I did make a small adjustment. I'll get into that a little bit later. But I am playing Jedi Fallen Order on stream, and I've been streaming it for the past couple weeks. Uh, so I only play on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. It's a nice work-life balance. I play about two hours at a clip, but with the holiday coming up, we might see some extended gameplay. So we learn a little bit about jumping and running and, and moving and, and all the environments. But in this shipbreaking yard, oh my god, they're just breaking down uh, Republic-class uh, cruisers, uh, including a, a Separatist uh you know, a space station, you know, the ones that look like uh, the rings and whatever we see in episode one. But, oh, my God, this game, at least the beginning of it for me, and I haven't really gotten into it. Uh, I decided to play on Grand Jedi Master, which what a terrible idea this was to play on the hardest difficulty right off the bat is just stupid. They sh really shouldn't give you that option. They should make you play this game on normal. And then, after you finish it and you get, uh, I don't know, you explore a minimum of 80% of each of the uh, worlds, then the hardest difficulty opens. But nope, they give you the option right off the bat. So me being the stubborn person I am, I was like, alright, I'll play on the hardest difficulty. And the, basically the difference is parrying that needs to have precision. And the enemies just do high, high damage. So I'm like, oh, how hard could this be? So as you make your way through like the first world, uh, which is uh, begins uh, begins with a B, I, I forget. Uh, you know, you get introduced to the world a little bit. You meet BD One. You're sort of exploring, and my first real challenge came to this toad, this three-eyed toad. And I was like, oh, first off, if you want to see this battle of the three-eyed toad, you could head on over to YouTube. I am self-endorsing. I don't care. Why would you want to listen to me when you could watch it? So this is be an abbreviated. Uh, in progress review but if you head on over to youtube and just watch the 10 minutes of death after death after death you'll f come to realize that either i'm really bad or this is a damn hard game uh you really have to think about what you're doing how you're attacking how you're powering how the enemies work and there's just so much to take in that i love it i love everything about this game here's what i didn't like <clears throat> i had to change the controller scheme up uh, because uh, jump was A, and uh, what was it? Um, d d uh, dodge was X, and for me that didn't work because every time I wanted to dodge, I would hit jump and then I would die. So I did a little mapping and sort of made it my own, and I and I started playing a little bit better. And what I can say is that every single time I've played, I've gotten a little bit better. I've died a little less. The stream proves that, so you can definitely check that out. But uh, we're seeing Cal Kestis sort of jump from uh, uh, ledge from ledge. So this game reminds me of Assassin's Creed with the climbing of Breath of the Wild with the exploration. Um, from what I know, it has a little bit of a Dark Souls attitude to it where 
you know, you're just going to be inundated with enemy after enemy. Speaking of that, uh, I was a little disappointed that with the force points and the skill points, and again, this is I don't know if this is spoilery, but for me, I thought I was going to have more of a control about where I could put the skill points. Instead, it kind of just gives you what it gives you. And, uh, you know, I've already maxed out all my skill points for the first, I don't, I don't know, seven hours. Just because every single time I have to rebattle all these enemies, I am gaining experience points. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Probably bad. But, uh, you know, I have basically have all the movesets so far that the game has offered me. And I can't move any farther until I progress in the game. Speaking of the progression of the game, it sort of gives you options of where you want to go. And, you know, one world is harder than the other. I don't know if there's other worlds. So far, I've opened up three. Zepho, uh, Dathomir, and Borgata, Borguto. I've done, again, only played for a, a seven-ish hour, so we'll see where it goes from there. But I can't highly recommend this game enough. It's beautiful. It makes sense. It's canon. It fits inside the Star Wars story. My only question is what happens to Cal Kestis as the story comes to a close? Uh, my guess is that he has to die because he wouldn't make sense for him to be in any of the stories because he doesn't exist. Uh, so only time will tell, and I'm looking forward to finishing off this game. Uh, battle mechanics are good. Uh, they are very difficult on Grand Jedi Master. I could see them getting a little bit repetitive if you played on an easier difficulty because you can kind of hack and slash your way, but the way I'm playing, I got to really, really be patient with how I'm playing this game. So again, come on out. Check me out on stream. Just search out MRC Tech on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, or even Mixer to... Uh, See what it's all about, and we'll have a conversation, and we'll talk about it, all right? So that is sort of my in-progress review of Jedi Fallen Order. I love the custom lightsabers that you can do. Uh, I don't know why there are so many custom parts around in the world in these little chests, but I guess they had to give you something to hang on to. Uh, the, you do have to go back to worlds, and we're going to extend this review as I'm thinking of things. You do have to go back to worlds because you can't quite get to everything until your character uh, proceeds or progresses in the storyline. And even your droid can't slice into certain things until uh, this thing called a scope link is fixed. Which hopefully that happens soon because I must have passed five or six things uh, that need to go. There's definitely secrets in this game you definitely have to explore. Uh, but there's definitely paths that you have to follow. So you can't just explore, like, you can basically explore everything in Breath of the Wild. But in this game, they sort of have your path, and you, you'll know if you can explore because it just won't let you climb. Um, I've fallen off of things for no reason. Uh, I've dodged and dipped to the side of cliffs and not fallen, so the mechanics there is a little wonky. I got stuck in between a cliff because I fell but caught myself and I couldn't do anything about it so I had to force myself to die which was super weird you can catch that on stream uh, there's just a lot of I mean there's a lot of great things about this game and there's not that much that I can complain about outside of choosing the wrong difficulty now note I can change the difficulty but I refuse at this point if I change it I'm just going to just uh, not be happy with myself and there's something to be said about uh, defeating and getting past a part after playing on that level of difficulty. I love it. So come on out, check out the stream. That's my in-progress review of Jedi Fallen Order. And that has been 
your final approach. So let's listen in on some more Jedi Fallen Order. In our ship's log in our final segment of episode 14, I want to take a look back at Yoda. Yoda seems to be a talk of the town uh, these days since the Mandalorian has come out. And Yoda was a legendary Jedi master and stronger than most in his connection with the Force. Small in size but wise and powerful, he trained Jedi for over 800 years, playing integral roles in the Clone Wars, the instruction of Luke Skywalker, and unlocking the path to immortality. Now, his gender is male. He's 0.66 meters high. His species is unknown. And his appearances are in Attack of the Clones, Return of the Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, Empire Strikes Back, Phantom Menace, Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, and uh, other sort of little tidbits like in the books and comics. He's got famous little lines and sayings. His history runs far. Uh, he definitely speaks to Ezra Bridger. After the initial meeting in the Jedi Temple, Ezra Bridger returned to seek guidance from Yoda once more. This time, however, he could actually see the Jedi Master as the Padawan's powers had grown. Yoda warned the boy that as his power grew, so did danger. Finally, as the Temple began to fall from the Inquisitor's intrusion, Yoda left Ezra with one command, find Malachor. And so we have Yoda dying. But guess what? In the databank on StarWars.com, there is no mention of the asset, the child, the kid, Baby Yoda. And what's interesting is that Baby Yoda is about 50, they uh, they claim. Uh, Yoda has been training Jedi for over 800 years. That means that at age 100, he wasn't training, or at least he started his training. So... Are we going to see a lot of development between age 51 and 100 for Baby Yoda? I guess only time will tell. I love that phrase, only time will tell, because that just leaves it open-ended. But that is Yoda. That is who he is. Stay tuned for Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian. That's coming up this Friday. Hmm. Hmm. Just gets me uh, all antsy thinking about the future of Star Wars and where the creators are taking it. Let's see what happens and that has been your ship's log as we come to the end of episode 14 again i thank you for sticking with me during this uh, long long podcast week uh, let's just recap the episode we started out with a rise of skywalker preview according to entertainment weekly with only 25 ish days left to december 20th we talked about the Mandalorian spoilers with Baby Yoda and the toys that are coming out. J.J. Abrams and his view on Ryan Johnson's uh, movie. We have SUV-sized X-Wings going to be flown over near or on December 5th for a media event above Galaxy's Edge. We have an uh, early review 
of uh, Jedi Fallen Order. I hope you enjoyed that. We had the final breakdown of Rogue One scene by scene. We gave it a 95%. And we went over the Yoda species and what it means for the Star Wars galaxy. I want to thank you for hanging in there with me for episode 14. A little shorter than normal. That's because we didn't put a half hour in on a movie. So we're going to catch you in a few weeks for episode 15 as more things develop. And like I said before, I will not be covering a lot of Rise of Skywalker rumors, trailers, extra segments. The Disney machine is alive and well. They are firing scene after scene at us, and I don't want to see anything. I want to be genuinely surprised when the movie comes around. So it's been a pleasure bringing this content to you on November 24th slash 25th. It will be November 26th when the episode drops. It's been a pleasure, folks, and as they say in a galaxy far, far away, may the Force be with you. MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast, copyrighted 2019, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music credits to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Music by Chillhop.com. Star Wars covers featured by Unicorn Studios and Pandemic on YouTube. This has been the last podcast. Visit the website www.mrctechllc.com for more information.